the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot more information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Before we get started today, we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Siri, Alexa, Bixby, Cortana are just a few of the many AI-powered virtual assistants that have become household names over the last decade. However, voice user interfaces have been around for over 20 years. Interactive voice response technology has evolved from automated phone systems to providing everyday conveniences, such as turning on home devices and managing communication. But the true magic lies in its ability to empower underrepresented populations, such as the vulnerable and disabled, due to inclusive design and diverse training data. Today, we're honored to be joined by the highly accomplished Kathy Pearl, Design Manager on Google Assistant. Kathy has been creating conversational interfaces since 1999. She's a published author, international speaker, and has quite the resume that spans from programming NASA helicopter simulators to application design and development. Kathy, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, a virtual celebratory toast is in order as you've recently stepped into your current role as design manager of Google Assistant from your previous work as Google's head of conversion design outreach. So a big congratulations to you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Of course. So, okay, what are voice user interfaces and how do they make products more accessible? Yeah, VUIs, in fact, we, we say. Oh, VUIs, um, like right. GUI, GUI. <laughs> so voice technology, it takes different forms. I think the ones that people are most familiar with um, are things like the automated phone systems where you call and speak to a computer, um, which can vary in terms of how good or bad they are. Some of them are very bad, but some of them are actually pretty good, and I'm, I'm proud that I worked on them. Um, and then things like smart speakers, like Google Assistant or Alexa, and then of course Siri on people's phones. Um, these are other common ways that I think people are used to running into speech recognition. Um, a lot of times people aren't necessarily sure what it can do for them or why they would even use it. I know a lot of people who have Siri, for example, who they don't even realize a lot of things it's, it's able to do. Um, but I, one of the things to me that's that I really love about voice user interfaces is that many of us have learned how to use a smartphone. We've learned how to swipe and tap and pick things from menus. Um, we, we've taught ourselves that, but even still, it can be very frustrating. You have to learn new new apps. My TV remote is always driving me crazy. Um, and the thing about voice user interfaces is that it tries to leverage something that humans already do, which is speak. We, we've all been doing that since we were very young. We know how to do it. We're comfortable having conversations like we're having conversations right now. And so why not leverage that? We're not trying to fool, fool people. We're not saying we're, we are human. You know, We are saying, hey, you know how to talk, I can learn to talk, and we can have a conversation and get what you want done without having to learn a lot of arcane technology, hopefully. And uh, voice user interfaces, VUI, <laughs> um, also can be really helpful to people with disabilities, memory disorders, and those sorts of things as well, right? That was what was really particularly intriguing to me, because I don't think that's necessarily something we all think about. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and that's... I. <laughs> Having been in the space for a while and seeing the technology grow, I'm so happy to see that it's matured enough 
that we can apply it to these real world problems where people who really need this technology the most. So for example, somebody who maybe has ALS and they can no longer move their, their arms, their hands, uh, and they, they, so they're, they're very reliant on other people to do things for them, which, um, when you can use your voice to even do something like turn on a light or, or change the TV channel, it, it can really make a dramatic difference. Um, even one example I read about somebody who is visually impaired um, and his family members, he can ask them, hey, can you change the channel? And they're happy to do so. But they're not going to ask, he's not going to ask them to channel surf for them. Like something we just take for granted, like surfing channels and deciding we're browsing Netflix. That's just something we take for granted. But it's not the kind of task he's going to ask someone else to do for him because it's like, feels like it's a burden. So if you can ask your voice assistant to do a lot of these things, you get to do a lot of those quote, you know, normal things that we're all doing day to day um, that, that have not, you know, no, no longer been accessible. And, and this is the case for somebody with mobility issues, somebody with visual cognitive issues, even maybe there's something that's difficult to read, but if it can be spoken, um, it can be made more accessible. So I think there's so much potential and so many things happening now. What are some of the, um, less conspicuous everyday use cases for VUI that people may not even consider VUI? Are, are the, I mean, does that even exist or is it the series and the, you know, Google assistance of the world? Hmm. That is a good question. There, you know, there are things like toys, for example, uh, there was that talking Barbie called Hello Barbie that came out a few years ago. Um, and there's been other toys even before this uh, that people interact with. But I think, yeah, the main way people interact with it tends to be through technology like a phone or a smart speaker or a television or they're just mm -hmm. the regular phone calls um, are the currently the primary ways. So there's another side, obviously, to natural language processing and computers that can listen to our voices and the AI that powers that. Um, and that, of course, is privacy, right? And um, the issues surrounding that. So what are your insights and thoughts about that? I think it's a really important topic. Um, it's interesting to me that I often talk to people who they feel comfortable typing words into a search engine, um, but they don't feel comfortable saying those same words out loud to a voice assistant sometimes. So we, That's we, interesting. We, we care a lot about our voice, which is no surprise. So much of our communication is not just about the words. It's about the tone of our voice, the pauses, um, you know, saying nothing. If I ask you a question, one of my favorite examples is if I ask you a question like, can you give me a ride tomorrow? And more than one second of time passes, that's an indicator to me that you probably can't or don't want to give me a ride. Um, and so those are the kind of things we lose when it's just the words themselves. So, you know, we're emotional about our voices. Um, so to that end, um, I, I understand that completely. And it's important for companies to be transparent with, with what they do with the data. Um, and the way that smart speakers, voice assistants work is that they are listening for what we call the hot word, um, like, like, hey, Google. Um, but nothing that you say until it hears that hot word is ever sent to, you know, sent to the company um, or sent to the cloud. Um, and the other aspect is that, for example, with the Google app, you can open the app um, and see anytime it did hear the hot word and it did process what you said. And we don't store that by default. We don't store any audio by default. Um, but you can even delete it from your history as well. Um, and it's just, it's deleted completely. So I think it's really important to be transparent um, so that people can be, if they know how the data is treated, hopefully they can have a comfort level around that. Um, but I never want to question anyone's comfort level. It's like, if, if you're not comfortable with it, you're not comfortable with it. If you are, great. Here are the tools you have to see what is going on and control it. I love that because I didn't even know you could go in and delete things that you've asked 
these assistants. I mean, um, I wonder if most people, Sue, did you know? No, I didn't. (laughs) I just think like it's out there. I put it out there. It's probably recorded somewhere. And, you know, I I don't think of like going back and saying, okay, well, let me go into my account and delete that. I don't want that being on record or whatever the case. So I I admire the transparency there and that tool. So if anybody's wondering, (laughs) go in and delete anything you don't want to come up in the future, I guess. Explain the interconnectivity of AI and VUI. I think there's a lot of perception in the general public if they stopped and thought about like, how do these voice assistants work? I think a lot of people would assume there's a great deal of AI behind them. Um, and they may be surprised at how, how that's not always true. There are certain parts of it, for example, what we call the ASR, the automated speech recognition. That's the technology that is taking the sounds that are coming out of my mouth and transforming them into actual words. Um, that part is very heavily um, models that we've created and trained over many years using machine learning. Um, that's That has advanced quite a bit. We're, we're doing pretty well with that. But on the flip side, the, what we call the natural language understanding part, which is like taking those words that, that came out of someone's mouth and actually saying, well, what did they actually want? What do they mean? Um, there's some machine learning involved in that, but there's a lot of still human uh, work that goes behind that. For example, as a, as a conversation designer, um, which is what I consider myself, it's conversation designers in general who are deciding what are the prompts, what are the words that are coming back from the voice assistant if you ask it something. What is what are the phrases that are going to come back? That's not usually just computer generated. That's human curated, human designed, um, for good reason. You know, there have been chatbots out there that are trained on like Reddit data, and they get let loose in the wild. And you know, when <laughs> they, they often take a turn, that's not so great. So there's a lot still. Um, or or you know, what are the things someone might say back when I ask them a question? Um, when the, the assistant asks them a question, a lot of that still takes uh, human humans to to work on it. Where do you see the direction of that technology going? And the reason I ask is because I was out walking the other day and listening to a podcast about um, deep learning in computers and how, and this very topic of voice recognition and inflection and how now we have chatbots that, to your point, Kathy, are sort of taught by humans what words to listen for and that sort of thing, but that machine learning would enable and deep learning would enable computers to identify things like inflection and draw conclusions from those things and then do actually a better job of, for example, on a customer service call, knowing whether the customer is really upset or whether they're calm and just actually sort of reading the human emotion behind the words. Is that the direction this technology is going in and how far out is that? I think it's the direction a lot of people think it's going and want it to go. But it's funny just thinking back to even like, say, 2000, when um, people who were building automated, our clients who were building automated phone systems for, they would say like, well, if somebody says a swear word, we want you to immediately transfer them to an agent because they're obviously mad. And we're like, well, we could do that, but um, maybe they didn't actually say that. Maybe it was a speech misrecognition. Maybe they were just having fun and, and like, hey, I'm going to you know swear at this computer. Wouldn't that be funny? Maybe they're not actually angry. Um, and I think, although we may have come a little further than that. Um, there are companies who are building this emotion detection um, and are selling it, but we're just not there yet. Um, and I think part of it also is emotions are very complicated. It's not just like, oh, you are angry, the end. We know, you know, maybe I'm a little angry, maybe I'm frustrated, maybe I'm upset. There's, there's quite a range. And the other question is, what are you going to do when you know that? Like we humans, like if you say to me, why are you so mad? I might be like, I'm not mad. Um, you know, just 
identifying what someone's emotion is and, and telling them what it is is not necessarily a pleasant experience. And so I think we have a lot of thinking to do still. Like what, let's say eventually we do get to the point where we have a pretty good model and we can detect several important emotions. What are we going to do with it? Um, and what should we do with it? And, and to me, it's a very delicate um, a delicate field that that I think still has a lot of long way to go. We're crossing over into my next question a little bit. What are your thoughts on AI ethics? We talked a little bit about privacy already. I think that's really important, being transparent. Um, other things I think about in terms of voice assistants are uh, representation. Um, a lot of voice assistants are female voiced by default um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about the Google Assistant is that um, the number of voices for each language differs, but in the U.S. English uh, version, there are, I think, over 10 different text-to-speech computer voices that you can choose from, half are male-sounding, half are female-sounding, um, which I think is great. But the thing I think I like even more than that is that when you set up your device, your Google Home smart speaker for the first time, it's 50-50 whether you're going to get the male-sounding voice or the female-sounding voice. And I think that's huge because we all know, um, as we were talking about settings, right, it's like who knows that there's other voices out there that they can change it to? A lot of people don't know that. Um, who's going to go in their settings and start exploring that? So if you always default to say the female voice and you say, but it doesn't matter because they can switch to a male voice. A lot of people just won't do that because they don't know or they just don't don't bother. So um, I think thinking about those things in a way like not just, oh, it's available, but how do we sort of um, do that? So it becomes normalized so that it's just normal to hear a voice assistant that's male sounding versus female sounding. I was in a, a lift a, a while ago. And the driver had, I, I noticed the driver had changed the Siri default voice to the Siri Australian voice. And I was just so curious. And I said, why did you change the, the voice? And he said, well, uh, I was getting frustrated because Siri wasn't working very well. So I changed it to this Australian voice. And now if it doesn't understand me, I, I don't really get upset because I think she's not from around here. Um, it it just really shows you like the voice it it matters it means a lot Uh and we should be thinking very deliberately about how we represent those voices agree with that it's interesting you say that too because i think that when you purchased um uh, hardware right you purchase your phone you have to go through a setup process right where you're selecting certain things it's asking you what you want to see and how you want to see it when you download an app you don't go through that it's kind of like whatever, usually it's whatever is on an app, you know, like whatever the default is. And I rarely go into settings on an app and change those things. So that is curious that you do have the option to just go in and make it suit you and what you want to hear and what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I think another interesting aspect about that with the Google Assistant uh, is that the the names of the voices, they're colors, it's like the orange voice, the purple voice, the red voice, um, and they're not named. So it also puts a little layer of abstraction there where it's not just like, you know, the John voice or whatever. I think it's interesting because I think our devices are a lot like our brains. They're, they have these capabilities that we don't know how to tap into. <laughs> I mean, we really have to be trained how to do that because to your point, yeah, I wouldn't even know necessarily that those are options on my phone. So I'm not going to go looking for them. Definitely. Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. What jobs currently exist or will be needed in the future in correlation to VUI? 
I think um, certainly, hopefully, there will be parts that become automated that are maybe the more tedious parts. Um, but I still think we are a long way out from completely computer-generated uh, conversations. Um, the dialogue itself, I think, is still going to need a fair amount of human expertise. I was thinking about about how so much of conversation is not just about information gathering. Um, I think we sometimes we tend to say, like, what are the tasks we can do with the voice assistant? For example, I used to work at a a company that has a, a virtual nurse avatar, and we were working on things like intake forms, where um, you know you want to ask a series of questions about medical health. Um, and and when it, when you go to the doctor and a nurse comes in to to take your blood pressure and things like that and ask you some questions, they don't just ask you those questions in a robotic way. They're probably saying, "How are you doing today? Um, how's your family? Whatever." Um, and there's a purpose behind that. You know, maybe you're nervous about going to the doctor, or or whatever. And, and there's it, it's establishing some trust. And so we have to be careful not just to think like, oh, you know, I will automate these 10 intake questions and boom, we're all done. Like that could still be a really useful task because maybe the nurse has better things to do, like care for people. Um, and so you could have the voice assistant ask those basic questions and then still have a human come in and actually maybe put their hand on your shoulder or ask, how are you doing? Um, and so I think it's really a combination that's still going to require a lot of, of human um, care and compassion for many years. I'm curious about foreign language translation and and voice assistants that can actually listen and translate uh, different languages, like when you're traveling. Um, Where is that technology going and how do you think that will affect sort of international languages? That is a really exciting area right now. We had um, released last year, Google Assistant released something called interpreter mode. And so you can say something like, hey, Google, uh, be my French interpreter. And then... um, you can have a conversation with someone else where you, I speak in English and it says it in French and the person speaks in French and, and back and forth. Um, you know, translation is still not 100% perfect as anyone who's used the translation program knows, but it can do, it can go a long way. And so I think um, there's there's a lot we can do right now. Um, again, it's, it's hardly a perfect uh, science, but there's been some exciting developments there. What does your team... Um for Google Assistant, this is design Google Assistant, <laughs> research and development. What does it look like? And how many people do you guys have? And what are some of the cool tests that you put the Google Assistant through? So just starting speaking um, for my own team. So I have a, a small team of conversation designers. Um, and we're working on what we call like the core verticals, which are sort of some of the most popular features that people use, like playing music, setting alarms and timers, getting, um, you know, sending messages. Um, and so we're thinking a lot about how to make sure those tasks are working well, trying to innovate, trying to come up with, with new things. Um, the, the conversation design team as a whole works on a lot of different features. We also work on one of my favorite features of the assistant is, is answers, um, which means just anytime you ask a question like, you know, what's the tallest mountain in the world or whatever, um, our family uses that all the time, especially during dinner. We're like, what was that movie that that person was in? Or um, we, <laughs> this is something I learned, I should probably shouldn't even admit this, but we were uh, talking about the Prince of Monaco and how Monaco is a principality. And I was like, wait a minute, are you saying principalities are, are principalities because they have a prince? <laughs> I was like, and so we were using the voice assistants to, to verify some of these. Or, or I often, when I'm, I often try to read in bed before I go to sleep and I don't have my phone next to me, but I have one of my Google assistants. And I'm always asking questions from what I'm reading. Like I was reading this book by Douglas Adams called uh, Last Chance to See about endangered species. And it was written quite a while ago. And I was like, how many white rhinoceroses are left? 
or I was reading a novel the other day and it said, it was talking about the dulcimer instrument. And I was like, I don't remember what a dulcimer is. And I said, Hey, Google play the dulcimer. And it's like, here you go. And it played a, a tune by a dulcimer. And so that's my favorite feature about it. It's just always, I need some information. I'm just going to ask rather than pick up my phone, start scrolling. Oh, look, I'm at, I'm on social media. Oh, you know, and then it's like, forget it. Uh, so I love that kind of get in, get out, get the information you need. Well, with that being said, are there any uh, kind of obscure Easter eggs that people may not know <laughs> with Google Assistant that they can play with it? I would love to get some insider information there. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know a lot of them. I do know they have the standards like um, open the open the pod bay, pod bay doors, how uh, that kind of thing. They also have a lot of, we call them personality ones where it's just like, you can say things like, I love you or how are you doing? And it will, will, will give an answer. Um, if you, if you say to the Google Assistant, I have my Google Assistant and my Alexa right next to each other, and we're always like trying to compare their answers. And sometimes I'll say something to the Google Assistant, and then I'll say Alexa, and it will say, I'm flattered, but that's not my name. The Google Assistant will say that. Um, <laughs> right. So I, yeah, it's fun to discover them uh, over time. Do you ever pit them against each other? <laughs> yes, I try. I do. Like, there's a, have you heard of this game called Hey Robot? I have um, not. No. no. So basically, uh, you it's um, it's a bunch of words on cards, like let's say the word muffin, and you have to get your your robot or your voice assistant to say that word. You can't say the word yourself, but like the word muffin was really hard to get <laughs> my voice assistant to say it, say muffin. I was like, you know, trying like, what is a dessert that is kind of like a cupcake, but it is not or whatever. And it, it was like so hard. So um, it's really fun to kind of play around with them. And I <laughs> love it. really fun. Actually. A robot. Awesome. <laughs> and you know, you actually made a really good point just a, a few moments ago. I think that one of the big benefits of voice assistance is I probably wouldn't look up some of the things that I'm curious about because I wouldn't take the time to ask the question, but being able to say, hey, Google or hey, Alexa or hey, Siri, and and just find out little tidbits of information that are useful and worth knowing quickly and conveniently probably does give us access to factoids, if nothing else, uh, that we wouldn't otherwise have. And that's never a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and the path that's led you up to this point in your career. Yeah, so I got my start in the voice user interface space back in 1999 when I started at a company called Nuance, which builds um, IBRs, as you mentioned, those automated phone systems that people love to hate. Uh, and that's really where I got my start and exposure to this technology. Although I'd been interested in the, the idea of the technology since I was a kid and we had a computer at our house. And I, I learned to program it and would like try to program chatbots and things. Um, but it was it was that job at Nuance that really brought me into the real world of, of doing that. And so I've been working on voice and in, in, on those types of things, on apps, and then more recently, the last couple of years at Google on the Google Assistant. Awesome. I want to point out there was a really cool 2018 um, Medium article that was very powerful entitled, My Year Saying Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and since we're talking about your background and how you got into um into technology and what's brought you here to this current point. Can you give us a high level walkthrough of that year of uncertainty and vulnerability and share with us the biggest lessons learned from that experience? Yeah, I was, when I published that piece, I was a little surprised that it's, it's the piece that has generated the most responses from people out there who have told me like, Oh, you know, I, I felt in a similar way. Thank you for, for writing that. And um, that, that kind of took me by surprise, but basically it talks about, 2014, which is um, when I'd been working part-time at a startup, but the startup had failed, unfortunately. And I was looking at like, what do I want to do next? Um, 
And I really just had this feeling I've been, I'd been out of the workforce. Uh, I hadn't worked full time in seven years. I'd taken some time off when I had my son. And I really ha- thought that, that my career was over. I mean, I thought I could go back to my old job of, of automated phone systems, but I didn't want to do that anymore. And I just thought, I'm too old. I think I was 42. Or I was like, I'm too old, especially as a woman in tech. And no one's going to hire me for, you know, I can get a job, but I want a career. I still have so many years ahead of, of, of work that I want to do. Um, and so I launched into this sort of year of saying yes, where almost anything that came up, people said, you want to do this? You want to give, you know, try this? I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And it was a, it was a year of a, a lot of scary challenges, but a lot of learnings and a lot of great stuff too. I think it's so important for people to hear, especially as a running thread with a lot of conversations with the amazing women we get to interview. Um, just like you had questioned, I, and I, I'm quoting you here, um, whether or not I had the skills and the experience to do such a thing. And it was in regard to the book that you eventually published. Um, but that I think is so relevant to so many people. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I was going to just re- reiterate kind of that same point or reinforce that point, because I think women, we question ourselves and I would be curious to know what it was. Was this a conscious decision that you made, Kathy, that I'm just going to say yes to anything that comes across on my plate? And what did that feel like? And how did you give yourself that extra nudge to do that? Because I think it's, it's a trick, a secret that every woman could learn from. I think it was, um, I think it was due to a, a couple of specific things. Um, one of which is I, I, started seeing a career counselor that her friend had recommended, which is, I think, quite a luxury. And I really appreciate that I was able to do so. And she said, you know, it might take some time to figure out your next career, but, you know, I'm sure you will. And in the meantime, why don't you just work on stuff that you like and see if that, you know, gives you any um, ideas about what you might want to actually do. So she kind of gave me this permission and freedom to, like, just go do stuff. And I was also fortunate because my husband was working full time and, and we could afford for me to take a little bit of time for me to figure it out. So that was another thing. Um, another thing, and, and this is related to the book, is I have a, a good friend, Karen Kashansky, who O'Reilly had approached her originally to because they were looking for someone to write this book. And she had said she didn't um, have interest at that time, but she recommended me. And and Karen has throughout, I, I dedicated the book to her, in fact, uh, throughout my career, Karen has always encouraged me to just like, why don't you find out about it? Because I was like, a book? Are you crazy? And she's like, well, just talk to them. And I was like, this is crazy. And she's like, well, just write a proposal. You know? And so she's, she's always just been a person who's like, well, why don't you, why don't you just try it? Um, and so having people like that to basically give me permission to be like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Why don't you go ahead and have a good support system? Those things allowed me to do that. That's awesome. Having that support system and then following through on it. And then I think when you get that confidence, it kind of builds momentum, don't you think? For sure. Um, you know, I had a, a friend who invited me to give a, a talk at a small meetup and um, that kind of allowed me to sort of practice uh, giving talks again and um, in, a, in, a, in a safe venue and things like that. So, yeah, again, it comes down to like, I feel so fortunate to have had other people in my life who said, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to give a talk at our 20 person meetup. You want to come give it a try? And that gave me in motivation. And I, I found I really liked it. Uh, and so, yeah, just the more you do, then, then the more um, the easier it Sometimes gets, not everything, but but some things. You get more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kathy, you have anything that we haven't addressed that you would like to talk about? Yeah, maybe I could talk about a couple of products that deal with um, inclusivity and accessibility. um, Would love that. Um, So a couple of things that I'm pretty excited about with that Google has been working on. Um, Last year, we launched um, one project is called Project Euphonia. And 
Um, although speech recognition is really working better than it ever has, it's pretty accurate, there are still um, some demographics for whom it doesn't work very well. For example, someone who has ALS or someone who maybe just had a stroke, uh, someone with Down syndrome, sometimes the voice assistants just don't understand them very well, which is just you know, tragic because again, those are often the people who can benefit the most. So Project Euphonia seeks to um, create speech recognition models that will understand those types of non-standard speech patterns. Um, and if you look up Project Euphonia online, um, if you know someone, for example, who has ALS and wants to contribute, people can donate their speech uh, snippets. And these will be used to train these models that will hopefully eventually, we're not there yet, work for many people um, and, and be able to assist a lot of people. So that's one thing I'm, I'm excited about. Um, another one is a product called Live Transcribe, which is a free app on Android. And Live Transcribe, it does just kind of what you might think, which is as you're speaking, it's, it's printing what you're saying on your phone or your tablet or whatever. Um, and this is really great for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Um, my, my aunt is deaf, she was born deaf. And usually we would communicate through lip reading but over the last 10 years or so, her vision has drastically deteriorated. And we were using a whiteboard and things like that, which were very frustrating. So now what I do is um, she has a small tablet and I, I hold it up sort of under my chin. This was a learning as well, actually. I was holding it like this. But again, communication. When she's reading my lips, she's not just reading my lips. She's looking at my face, my body. Am I smiling? She she is excellent at detecting you know, what I'm, what I'm sort of feeling. And so I hold it under my chin so that she can be watching my face. And then when she doesn't get what I said, she can look down and read the words that have been printed as we're talking on the screen. Um, it also does things like if there's music playing in the background or people laughing, um, it'll it'll put on the screen like laughter. Um, I We were at a family gathering and I was, we were singing happy birthday and it said singing happy birthday, <laughs> like on the, on the little tablet. So it allows her to more easily take part um, in the rest of the conversation. So those are two projects that I'm, I'm particularly excited about. That's great. Love that. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah, we can put a link uh, hopefully in the in the show notes. Yeah, later. absolutely. Fantastic. Awesome. Lightning round? Lightning round it is, Kathy. We ask all of our guests just a few questions just to get to know them a, a little better. Uh, we hope they're fun. And uh, I'll start it off with finish this sentence. Women are? People. What are three pieces of advice you would give your younger self? One thing I, I, I would tell myself, my young self, is that um, it's okay if people don't like you. Um, I still struggle with this now, to be honest, but being liked is not the ultimate goal. Um, certainly, I still believe in like hopefully being kind and things, but but being liked should not be the thing that, that drives you. Um, another thing is that, um, especially I would like to hear this in high school, there are lots of interesting people you're going to meet throughout your life, so don't feel like the people you know in high school are the only people <laughs> very <laughs> true. Gonna be hanging out. I was very uh, nerdy. Well, I'm still nerdy, but I was very nerdy in high school. And I, it wasn't really until I hit my professional career that I sort of, I really started, I mean, I've, 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 I had good friends before that, but I really started feeling like a lot of the friendships I formed in that, in that time period um, who are still friends today. So um, those are two. <laughs> I don't know that I have a third. I love the point that you made early on in our conversation about permission and giving yourself permission and having a great group of people around you that are supporting you and um, pushing you, nudging you to do and explore different things that might be out of your wheelhouse. But that permission thing, I just, I feel like so many women can mm -hmm. relate to that. And I don't know why we put that on <laughs> ourselves. Like we, we prevent ourselves from moving forward sometimes. So I think that's like a, you know, I'll give you that third one. I think, 
if you want to eat breakfast. Yeah, wanting to be liked too, right? Giving yourself permission and being liked and just seeking approval. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What is your current favorite application of tech for good? And it doesn't have to be an app on your phone per se. It could be any type of tech application for good. I was going to say Live Transcribe, which is the one we just talked about um, to help people who are deaf or hard of hearing. What issue do you most hope technology will help resolve in the future? I'm going to say inequality. Um, I feel like that's a very vague answer, um, but certainly that will be my hope. The, the technology, I think it does both. I think it can help with inequality, and I think on some sometimes and unfortunately it exacerbates inequality. So we have to find a better way to steer consciously steer more technology towards um, addressing inequality as opposed to inadvertently sometimes, but still nonetheless uh, creating more inequality. What inspires you? I think for me, it's really about personal stories. That's always what gets to me the most. Um, I'm listening to an audio book right now uh, by an Australian musician named Claire Bowditch, um, which is just so compelling. She's just talking about her childhood and, the, and the, the things she's gone through. And it's when I hear and read these types of stories um, that just really, that's what, I don't know, for me personally, that's just what makes, inspires me and makes me feel like, okay, we need to do something um, and, and, and take action. I am right there with you. Everybody has a great story to tell. What do you want to learn more about? <laughs> I think for this, my answer is also kind of general, which is I want to learn more personal stories of people who have had a different life than me. You know, I, I live in such a bubble here in Silicon Valley in the tech world. And I I just, I need to find more stories of people who just really had slightly different, really different, extraordinarily different upbringings than I did, lived in very different places, had different values in their life. Um, I think I need more of that. Just human connection is so special. And I think that we crave it in so many different ways. So absolutely. Describe the future in one word. Unknown. Yes, indeed. Well, Kathy, thank you so much again for joining us today. The conversation has been excellent. Um, Where can people connect with you online? Best places are either on Twitter, where I am cpearl42. um, And also I have a website, kathypearl.com, where I've got links to previous talks, articles, um, things like an article called How to Be a Conversation Designer, if anyone is interested in that. Um, So that's a great place to, to keep up. So great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.